The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. The Welcome everybody to the future of business, where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse range and sectors embedded in the Oxford MBA cohort and beyond, and how they will shape the future of business. My name is Andreas. And I will be hosting our conversation today with Mario Rojas. We're going to talk about his work in venture capitalism. Mario is a friend of mine. We also have many friends in common. And he works with the Oxford Seed Fund here in the business school. Mario, thank you so much for coming out today. Why don't you briefly talk about yourself? Andy, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, I've heard several of the previous versions and... and I love being part of the podcast now. Um, on my side, I'm uh, I'm from Colombia, and uh, I would say that uh, I'm both a venture capitalist and a sport enthusiast. So I spent my last um, years back in Latin America working in the investment industry uh, with startups, digital economy, digital models, uh, fintech, e-commerce. SaaS, marketplaces, all that there's to see uh, done in the region, and also doing the other thing I love to do most, and it's doing sports. I think you're playing football, and football is one of the reasons I left Germany. Um, but before we dive into VC, um, let's briefly talk about our time here in Oxford. Um, the year's coming to an end, hard to believe. What moments from your time here in Oxford will you, will you remember? Yeah, that's this is a really emotional moment, I think, for all of us. Uh, the year coming to an end, um, many friends leaving, others staying, and us uh, picturing and, and beginning to build what's going to be the next chapter on our lives. I think that on my side, I have um, a couple of moments I, I would highlight. One, one on the, let's say, on the professional side, also on this venture capital side, and uh, with, with a couple of friends here we were able to to win the european finals of the venture capital investment competition uh, well done an american thank you an american competition on analyzing startups and and performing due diligence investment it's it's it was really good and when we won that we were thrilled it was one of the highlights of our of our year and um, well that that may that meant we eventually went to the finals in the states but that didn't go well but um, w winning the European finance was really good, and and on the other side, on the more personal side, one of the moments I I cherished the most was when uh, a bunch of us went to Finland to to see the Northern Lights back in, in January, and there was just this night when the, our on our first night out we were able to actually see the Northern Lights. That's something that not everyone is lucky to do, even when people try and travel there for it, and it was. Yeah, like, say, 60, 70 people um, in a frozen ice lake, dancing to music beneath the northern lights. I mean, that was a magical moment for, for me, and I know that's That, that does sound <coughs> like a magical moment, and it also sounds like the beginning of a very, very scary movie. Um, I, for one, I will probably end up scrolling through my LinkedIn posts when I remember this. Um, 
but it truly has been uh, such a fruitful year. Let's um, let's dive into VC. You already talked a little bit about the different areas you worked in. Um, and can you really just briefly tell us why this kind of work is important to you? <clears throat> of course, I, I got into VC, uh, we might say by accident, back in 2015. I, I graduated from a university in Colombia in uh, with a major in business and finance back then you worked in in you you were pushed or encouraged to go to investment banking but uh, i i managed to get a, a job in a spanish firm that invested in in startups um and they had venture capital funds around the world three in spain one in india and, and our fund in latin america that had operations in the whole region except Brazil. So we were analyzing companies between Mexico and Argentina, including Colombia, Chile, Peru. And and while I got in this world, let's say by mistake again, uh, I really became in love with it. I really became in love with the idea of meeting new entrepreneurs and new business models almost every day, learning from, essentially from people that are smarter than you because no one knows their their company on the business model as entrepreneur that is working on it 24 7 um, and that that also sparkled my curiosity so every time I learn about a new business model I had to investigate okay wh where did this come from why is this happening is this that I'm seeing here in Colombia or in Peru the same that's happening in the States in Europe in India so that sparkled a lot about making me that, that made me research a lot get to know many more things about different regions and different countries in which i never been um cool. and that, I mean, that was I, really amazing yeah it kind of speaks to me the idea of looking at different business models and exploring all kinds of different methods and different regions um i used to work with different monetization methods for video content and i kind of like the idea as well to like discover a new way of doing it every time now let's kind of try to dig deeper into venture capitalism and dissect some of the work you're doing. What I'm always fascinated, fascinated with is the way venture capitalists make decisions. So you have a pot full of money and you can invest it into companies. Um, can you talk a little bit about the criteria you use when you select and evaluate companies? Of course, um, and I've been fortunate enough to, to have worked with this uh, venture capital Spanish firm, but also with, I had some time with a Mexican firm and the last year here at SBS with the Oxford Seed Fund. And it's interesting how everyone has different thresholds or, or exact metrics, but in the big pictures, we all look for the same things. And I would say four things, the, the team, the market, the product and its differentiation, and last, the unit economics and or the traction. Okay, that's already a lot less <coughs> financial statement than I expected. Maybe let's let's briefly talk through these four ones. So the first one is the founders team. What are you looking for when you're meeting a team that starts a company? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tricky one because it's mainly soft, soft skill based. So you want a team, first of all, some people like teams, not solo founders. I, I personally don't have anything against solo founders, but people like teams that can complement each other and have good working dynamics. So two founders, three founders. And essentially what venture capitalists look for, it's a team that knows well the market um, and the in which, a team in which they can see uh, the 
desire of, let's say, conquering the world, while also keeping a humble um, attitude towards the um, towards the um, business and the relationship with the investors. So it's it's quite interesting because you want people that know their their thing, that know their business model, <coughs> but also that you can be able to coach, so coachable in yeah. in a way. And you probably look for people that are as committed as you are. So I think quite often people, what I see is like what I feel myself. It's like, I don't want to start a company because I'm not willing to put in my own money mm -hmm. or all of my time. I'm not willing for that level of risk. And clearly, if you put your capital at risk, you expect them to have a similar level of commitment. Um, let's move on to the next point. We talked about um, how the market in which the company is looks like. And maybe also about the third point, the product, the depreciation. Can you Describe a little bit how you would evaluate whether or not a company has potential to really create returns in the market. <clears throat> well, uh, in terms of the market, um, investors tend to, to analyze um, deeply what's happening in in uh, in terms of the external market and the internal market. And and to give you an example, um, back when the when the um, streaming industry that you know very well mm -hmm. uh, began thriving well one of the things that investors analyzed here was <coughs> um what's happening with the streaming market is there more money flowing is there more users is the big players that I'm, i don't know if you know this better than i maybe it was netflix one of the biggest ones um are there more uses uh, getting into this industry is this growing is this not growing what are the expectations of the market it's yeah. rare that a vc investor uh, invests in a market that is not growing Uh, so streaming made sense now blockchain fintech those markets are growing you have more users more um, internet penetration more smartphone penetration those are all fundamentals that enable digital businesses so the total market size is expanding yeah there's room the cake's getting bigger exactly okay, the cake's getting bigger you can compare that with for example the mattress industry the mattress industry is not growing at tremendously high rates. Well, It's there's more single households, so I guess they need more mattresses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at, so I kind of see how how different markets function differently and some are contracting and some are expanding. And it can also change very quickly, as we see in streaming mm -hmm. right now. Now they are all buying each other and suddenly it's contracting. Um, but let's let's move forward to, to what's happening within this market. Let's talk about how you would look at a product or a service and how it's differentiated against competitors that are competing for the same path. Exactly. The, and, and that's the, the perfect match with the market. You have a, a big market or a market that's getting bigger and now you need to understand why this product is going to win. Why are you going to be the winner? What is the tech, either tech or the strategy to get that product into the market going to be the, the winning strategy? So um, again, taking the stream example, Why <clears throat> is this product going to be able to make a difference? What's the competitive advantage uh, that you have uh, with your peers, with the competitors? Right now, from my humble, maybe a little ignorant perspective on streaming, I don't see a lot of differentiation aside from content between when you talk about Netflix, Amazon, or whoever else is there. But back in the day when the, it was almost just Netflix, there was a big difference, a big competitive advantage I see between them and the traditional broadcasters. Um, and you can see it in many ways. Is your technology what different makes you different? Is it your team? Is it that you're giving, you're solving a, a are you solving a need from the customers or is this just a nice to have? All those things come from the product. Yeah, and I think at the same time, um, how hard will it be for a competitor to copy 
what makes you special. So what are barriers for entry? Is it maybe the other day I read, a, I read about a startup and they said that what is unique for us is our business model. But at the end of the day, your business model is public. Everybody mm -hmm. else can copy your business model. But if you say what makes us unique is a patent that is protected by law or a specific technology that only we have, it's much easier to defend your position within the market. Um, let's move on to the fourth part um, that you are evaluating when looking at a company, and that is the unit economics. Um, I come from the world of streaming, <laughs> where we only have fixed costs, like mm. we make a movie <laughs> or a TV show, <clears throat> and then we give it to anybody who wants it and gives us some sort of money, and we absolutely don't care um, about the unit costs, because it's only fixed costs, but that's obviously not the case for most people. So can you talk a little bit about how you are looking at the unit economics when talking to a startup? Yes, the, the unit economics and the traction are, are key aspects, particularly the older, and I quote the, the quote unquote, the older the, the startup is, because for pre-seed there's no traction or, or a lot of unit economics. But all the startups in uh, seed, series A, series B, maybe even beyond, they're losing money. And what investors are interested in knowing is, does this have the potential to turn profitable? And for that, a basic analysis of, analysis of unit economics takes us to see how much am I getting, let's say in a month for this product, and how much is it costing? For the base, and the basic example I use all the time is delivery companies. How much money is Andreas spending in Deliveroo how much money he spends in his average ticket every time he orders, how many times he orders a month, from all that money, what's the margin that delivery gets from Andreas. And then from that, from, from those simple numbers, we can know that Andreas orders an average of 15 pounds per order twice a month, so that's 30. Considering the, the margin, maybe, maybe they get uh, delivery who stays with 10 pounds out of those 30 pounds, the rest for the store, I don't know. but. How, do, how does delivery work, work with those 10 pounds? Those 10 pounds have to go for the marketing, for having Andreas yeah. captive. So how big is that little margin and how much bigger, sorry, how many Andreas do I need to have to make my company profitable? But it's an analysis more of a one-by-one one cases, like the analyzing the, either the transaction on itself or the user or the Andreas on itself. And that's something, as you said, less financy in a way uh, than private equity or leverage buyouts or, or all those things that uh, big finance people uh, talk about. Uh, but it's also quite powerful because without getting deeper into finance, it gets you to understand why does this will eventually work financially. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> now I went through a couple of criteria and I, I just kind of want to sum this up together. Like if I was to pitch one of my amazing startup ideas because I really want to start this little pancake shop, um, would you agree that if I put together a deck and I talk through these four points, the founders team, the market we're operating in, the product differentiation, and the unit economics, would that give you more or less a complete picture or something missing? Mm, I think that would be the, the complete picture. Uh, again, there's there's a lot here in, in every one of these uh, points that uh, adds up to a let's say a fifth dimension that it's your strategy so how you're going to get it to the market yeah. um, but not to overcomplicate it to the five or ten components of a pitch deck for me these are the four main things because okay. good founders are going to have a, a good go-to-market strategy if you have a good product you're going to be able to reach the market but yeah those four things uh, and having in mind this little how am i how, how am i going to lay out this 
Okay, perfect. I think that's actually really useful for somebody who's starting a company. I know a lot of people would pay a good buck just to speak to a VC once. And here there's people. Mm -hmm. Here, straight from a VC, that's how you pitch a company. Um, and you and I, Mario, um, I think let's move on a little bit and let's kind of zoom out. Um, and let's get away from individual companies and how you evaluate them. Um, and let's look at different regions. Um, what I love about Oxford is that our program is so incredibly international. There's more than 70 countries here. I've got friends from Turkmenistan. I've got friends from small Pacific Islands. I got friends from Hawaii, and it's a big island in the Pacific. Friends from Africa. Um, and obviously, all these markets operate differently. And you have now had some insights into different regions in the world. Um, and I think it's really fascinating to understand what makes them unique. Um, and especially, I want to compare differences between the Latin region that you worked on before and more developed market like the UK and the US. Um, can you talk a little bit about what are the differences for VCs when working either in Latin America or in markets like the UK? Yes, I, I think that there's that's one of the highlights for me as well of, of the MBA, being able to meet uh, an amazing group of over 300 people from many different places. And and for the VCs, this, this geographical um, diversity you might see in their operations affect mainly three aspects. Um, the main risks investors see in a region like Latin America are, that might be currency risk and political risk, that'd be one. Um, the liquidity of both available investment money, so how many venture capital funds are investing, and let's say how many startups do they have to analyze investing, that would be two, liquidity. And number three, um, some fundamentals about the market. And when I'm talking about this is how, for example, uh, in Latin America and maybe in other places like India, uh, where the delivery, and, and specifically Latin America, where the delivery of your local delivery rule, that's called RAPI, it happens in a bike, whereas I understand other places might be in a car. Um, that means that your unit economics are better because if you just have to pay $1 to the delivery person for this, it's way easier to eventually be profitable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can clearly see this. In Germany, if you order on Uber Eats or on Deliveroo, it's quite likely that somebody walls up in a car on a four-wheeler. Um, and it might it he might even be employed or getting minimum wage or he's part of the gig economy. And at the same time, in other markets like Latin America, India, he probably uses a bicycle, there's much smaller costs, and there's a large informal sector in the market where wages are really differently. So I but, but, but there's also an additional aspect there, uh, and it's the fundamentals of the other people. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, I, I was pitching to the to the partners that are from Spain, uh, a really a really interesting company that it was essentially a marketplace to buy your bus tickets online, as we do when we go from Oxford to London. And long story short, not to take all the time on this, but the investment didn't go through because they found it hard to understand that people were in a were demanding highly bus transport because they live in Spain, they grew up with trains, the train system there is amazing and they just didn't understand that we in Latin America, in Colombia, in Mexico, in Peru, in Chile, we take the bus a lot. So those small fundamental differences of the market do make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to stay on this example, talk about regulation, I once tried to book a bus ticket in Turkey and then I couldn't and it took me 20 minutes to figure out why. And it was because the seat next to me was booked by a woman. 
And in Turkey, if you, book, if you book a bus ticket, you can't sit next to somebody from the opposite sex unless you're married to them. And it blew my mind as a customer because it never occurred to me that it could be a thing. So these companies need to be careful in how they structure their booking systems so they don't lose capacity just because of regulation like this. Um, but let's move on a little bit. So we talked about the market. You briefly mentioned risk. So clearly one is currency risk. I think it's quite apparent right now with what's happening with in Russia. Um, and also at the same time, the political risk. Like you might be investing in a company in a different country and you shall see the currency decline or the political situation changing. Um, I'm not, do you think there's ways to mitigate this risk or would you just stay out of, st of certain markets? This is, this is a great question. In, in terms of the currency risk, the for this type of investments there are small investments small companies it makes no sense for you as an investor to to engage in advanced hedging mechanisms derivatives for small investments it makes no sense and it has been proven unsuccessfully in the past um what people typically tend to expect here is that if the like that the companies are going to grow so fast that you're not going to be able to be affected greatly by inflation. Um, perfect. So there's two main differences we discussed so far, the different market, different risk, and the third round you talked about the liquidity of both capital and startups. So for me, this is probably a question of scale and amount. So like, how big is the market I'm operating in? How many funds are there? How much capital is, is liquid in the market? And also how much choice do I have looking at startups? Do I get 10 pitches a year that I can consider, or hundreds. Um, and I guess, that's a guess now, that in Latin America you end up grouping markets and considering not just Colombia, but building your office, that I think you said, from Mexico to Argentina. Is that kind of how you deal with this? Yes, you have the, the, typically you have the big investors that have been investing in the region for, let's say, the last five, 10 years, and they tend to have a, regional scope um, one market is not enough sometimes Mexico is the largest market some some investors just focus in Mexico but it's quite common for you to analyze all the bigger economies there Mexico Colombia Peru Chile and Argentina um, and yeah it's exactly what you are saying how many investors are there how many startups and the investor thing gets us to a little bit to what one might see happening now or that happened in the later years in the VC industry and it's the fact that if you have as we had when I was investing in, in, in the region, Mexico had several funds, Peru ha had zero funds, Colombia had three or four. So essentially you're not fighting with any other fund for evaluation. Whereas when you have a lot of money available, a lot of funds, and you see that especially in the States, a little bit in here in the UK, well, sometimes the competition between funds for good startups ends up being a question of money. And sometimes that's how you get a company that might be worth, let's say, 10, get a 20 or 25 um, million dollar valuation or million pound valuation because there's a competition there. And that's something that you, when you invest in, in these unliquid regions, you have that, let's say, that advantage. Yeah, it's also kind of interesting to look at how fragmented regions are. So Latin America has a lot of different currencies and, and, and political environments, but there's only a few languages compared to, for example, South Asia, mm. where there's a fast amount of languages and currencies um, and a couple of really, really, really big markets. 
So thinking about all these different markets and different aspects of VC, um, let's kind of come back to your own experience. So many people are using the MBA to make a pivot, um, and you are somewhere between different regions now. Um, and I'm just curious to understand what impact do you want to have after the MBA? Well, now I'm looking forward to opportunities of applying all my experience in VC, but here in the UK. So as we were discussing, different market, bigger market, with different challenges. Uh, but then what I'm aiming to do is to be able to, as they say, make it to the venture capital or investment industry uh, here. Um, and I want to be able to l learn at the same time that I give um, the firm I work with the opportunity to to see things maybe from a different perspective. Yeah. I, I have my own thought in VC, and I think that there's it's different to what some people see here. That's quite powerful. Um, I think this is a great aspiration. How is the Oxford MBA helping you with that? Well, I think that the, the in three main ways. So the first one is that the Oxford University, the Oxford brand, and the Oxford people I've been meeting are, are key assets uh, for me being able to network and to uh, know who are the key investors out there. And that's a key aspect for making it into the industry. So in VC, key aspect, key asset is the network you have. And particularly the Oxford Seed Fund, that's the Oxford University's student-led venture capital fund, has been a great experience for me through the year. During the last 12 months, we engaged in getting to know each other. It's 11 MBAs. Um, we engaged in organizing how we were, we were going to work through the year. And we essentially managed to source over 100 applications from startups only from Oxford-related um, entrepreneurs. Mm, and we performed an analysis and due diligence on all these startups. And we're selecting, actually, this, this week's our last investments. So it has been great because it has helped me get into the UK landscape, understand more what's happening here, understand what are the trends and the tendencies that you can see in this, in this place. Uh, but it personally also helped me to go a little bit to a different level because I was always investing in Series A, Series B, so more mature startups, one might say, three, four years of operation. And the Oxford Seed Fund is pre-seed and seed. So I've been also having to go to another level when I know that I have to focus in different aspects, not just the numbers, the unit economics, but a lot more in people, in teams, in markets. So it's been really good for me to complement my, my experience and let's say to feel that my analysis as a venture capital investor are uh, 360 degrees, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, amazing. I, I really do think that the Oxford Seed Fund is one of the, one of the greatest opportunities to, to grab in the MBA. You guys are investing real capital into real companies while you're being here. Um, and I'm friends with, with many of the people in the Seed Fund and I have been told that you're doing a really good job there. Um, and that is probably a good a good note to end this talk on. Um, so thank you so much, Mario, for, for coming out, for taking the time. That's been very insightful for me. And I wish you all the best for the next couple of years. Thank you very much, Andy, again, for having me here. It's, it's I really love being able to share all this uh, with the people out there. And hope you and everyone listening also has a great end of the year. And thanks to the audience. Thanks, guys, for listening in. Hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Future of Business podcast.